0: Okay, so we're back. We're at the same place, but this is the next week. Just eating some dark chocolate caramel salted nuggets. Pretty good, huh? So if you have that disease where you can't stand hearing people chew, sorry. Um, Okay. I also have that disease, so that was really mean. Mm. All right, Craig's going to kick it off. Go well, ahead. I,
1: I want to go back to something that, that happens a lot. Um, I'm going to go back a number of years ago that I saw this couple, and I, I've seen, but please understand, either I've gotten permission to talk about all these people, or I've mixed it up enough so hopefully they won't understand that this one fits this one or this one. No,
0: nobody uh, but knows. Uh,
1: after 43 years of doing this, I've seen a lot of people going through these kinds of things. But this couple came to see me, and they came in, and they, they were really struggling uh, with their intimacy, uh, their, their sexual intimacy. As a matter of fact, nothing was happening. Uh, he was a, uh, a wonderful guy, about 160 pounds, very athletic, uh, 60 years of age, but had a heart problem. And his wife was probably 350 pounds. And uh, what they were doing is they were trying to be intimate, and they had not been intimate for several years. And they were trying to see if they could figure that out. Well, when they first came in to see me, they, they said, we, we, want to, we want to have intercourse. We want to make love. We want to do these kinds of things. And I said, okay, but we just haven't been able to do it. And uh, he said that, you know, he has difficulty maintaining an erection. And uh, because of her size and what she's going through, he, she's feeling that I can't turn him on and that's why he can't get an erection which wasn't necessarily true. I I think they're played a part, but he did love her and she loved him. So what I did is I drew on a piece of paper, a continuum. And on this, I put an edge on this side, one side of the border, and this side, the other side of the border. And we call, I call it. the.
0: It's like a line with two lines at the end. Yep,
1: On the end. Okay. A segment. Yep. The continuum of sexuality. Okay. And over here, I will say, well, this is the starting uh, of intimacy. It might be something that's a smile. Okay. okay. And over on this end is uh, intimate satisfaction or sexual satisfaction. Okay. Okay. And so we start here and we end up here. And I, I pointed this out to them because a lot of people do this. A lot of people get caught up into performance anxiety. If we're having sex and we're not having orgasm, we're a failure. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that people do is they really get into performance. We got to perform this. We got to perform. This. Oh, if we're not performing, we're not successful. And okay. what I did is, somewhere along this continuum, maybe past halfway, I put up in it a, a circle O for orgasm. Okay. I said that can be a wonderful part of it, but so many people that make that's the whole thing that sex is about is to have orgasm, when in fact I, I said it, it may not be. So I said to them. What you've told me, and I I drew a line, a big from right up close to this bar,
0: right up all the way
1: to the other one where we started, and I said ninety-seven percent of your intimacy was what you're calling orgasm, and I said over here we're going to put three percent, this little gap before the bar and the end. We're gonna put three percent of intimacy. I said, What what kinds of things happen in intimacy? And they said, Well, we we can kiss, okay. Uh we can tickle each other, yeah, scratch each other's back, give each other's massages, actually fondle each other, touch each other's genitalia, now termed as junk, can touch your junk. <laughs>
0: wow. <laughs> it's
1: a term we use. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I said, so we're going to put this up here, but so many people say the whole thing is sexual satisfaction. I said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an assignment. I drew the line differently on the bottom. I said, we're going to make 90%, 97% of your continuum. We're going to call it an interesting term. And instead of calling it sexual coitus or, or intercourse, we're going to call it making love. And you don't get to have an orgasm. And she's going, okay. Because it wasn't very common for her. And for him, it was like, oh, I don't understand that. Because for men, what's the end of sexual satisfaction? It's it's generally
0: orgasm. An orgasm, yeah. I
1: said, just, just see if you can think this for a minute. And this week you get to make love. So you're going to kiss and you're going to fondle and you're going to lick and rub oh and touch. Oh, my Do definitely. all of the things that people do <laughs> in Make you love, you told me that I can. This is what you, I, I thought when couples. You
0: do. I know. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean
1: to embarrass oh you. My if gosh. you want to limit this out, clip it out. That's fine with me. Okay. But they're doing all of these kinds of things, and but you don't get to have intercourse, and you don't get to have orgasm. The next week they canceled.
0: Hold on. Yeah. So. Um, So, to me, I feel like, but that results in a painful experience for a man. Sometimes. And it's like, oh, well.
1: But if he's not having an erection. Okay. It might not.
0: Okay.
1: Do you mean actually just pleasuring and being pleasured by a man or a woman by their spouse without orgasm? Could that be okay and be pleasurable?
0: Yes. I think that sounds great. But I also always have thought, Oh, that might, blue, you don't want to give your husband blue balls. <laughs> blue balls, that's right, where yes. it's going. Okay, and yes. a lot
1: of people come in and say, okay, then if you want to but go I, beyond I that, you can. But I think also that
0: would be great because a woman a lot of times goes without an orgasm. So suck yeah. it up, buttercup.
1: But but you can negotiate this and work on that. And I'll say to them, yes, you can do that. But this couple was into their 50, 50s, coming up in okay. their 60s. They hadn't been sexual for seven years. They had all of these problems. And they were trying to. So we're starting way back here. And we're going to start doing this. You're going to go home this week and make love to each other. Okay. But guess what? You don't get to do this. Okay. Well, the amazing thing, they canceled the next week. They come back a couple of weeks later, and they come in kind of looking at the ground, kind of staring like, this is weird, dog. We're embarrassed. We, we failed. I said, what do you mean you failed? Well, we both had orgasm. And he said, I thought I had to have an erection to have an orgasm and to ejaculate. I don't think I already even had one, but that experience with what was going on, well oh, wait, wait. So what they did is instead of focusing, go for the big O, go for the big O, they focus on a different term. It's called making love.
0: Mm. Pleasuring yeah. and being
1: pleasured. Very white based and red based. Not just all red. But most people come in, okay, you gotta be red, you gotta be red, you gotta be red. One one of the saddest things that happens with couples a lot, and this this happens quite a bit. They come in and they have their goal set up. It has to be this way. Uh-huh. Sex has to be this way for it to be, really be happy. If we can accomplish this, then we're going to be good. We're going to be set up. Oh, we're going to be happy. Everything's going to be wonderful. I say, okay, if that's what you want. And I've seen this many, many times. Uh, too many times. I, I couldn't count. Okay, Craig, uh, we're starting to get along. But we read the book. And really to really have it we've got to have simultaneous orgasm. We're supposed to both have an orgasm at exactly the same time. And I said, well, okay, if you want to work towards that, I guess you can, but I hope you're not setting yourself up for a whole lot of frustration. She said, well, but we read and we're hoping that we can do that. And I said, all right. But you know, it is a little bit different for men and women and you can work on some things and maybe work towards that. But I'm still concerned that you're becoming performance anxiety you're filling Mm -hmm. yourself with performance anxiety and they said what do you mean performance anxiety i said well this is performance anxiety And i had a guy tell me this oh gosh in the 70s uh this is a a um, a psychologist he said you go to the football game and you've been maybe you've been at the football game drinking beer and then you finally got to go to the bathroom. You go to the urinal. You waiting in line. You're waiting in line. I got to get up there. Come on. I got to go. I got to urinate. Come on. Let me get up to the end of the line. You know. Finally, the line ends, and he steps up to the urinal. And Willie says, nope, I'm embarrassed. I'm not going to. And his sphincter shuts down. And he feels like he's going to explode because he's got to urinate so bad. But he says, nope, can't perform. Perform his anxiety. He thinks he's got to urinate. And it takes him a few minutes before finally he has to pull out a line a minute and go, what is going on? Relax. Okay. Just relax. Quit working on performance anxiety. We've got to know exactly when to do this. And that sometimes happens. So what I'll say to them is I'll say right here, I have my bathroom right here. I say what we're going to do, husband, wife, and me We're all going to go in my bathroom right here. On the count of three, we're going to drop our drawers, and at exactly the same time, we're going to urinate at exactly the same time. One, two, three, urinate. Now, what do you think? Can we all three of us go into the bathroom right now, and on the count of three, all urinate at exactly the same time? No, we can't. Or do you think there might be some performance anxiety? I'm embarrassed. I don't want him looking at me. I'm going to, oh, geez, what about that? Well, this is Well, that
0: and a lawsuit.
1: (laughs) Yes, a major (laughs) lawsuit. That's a right. good term <laughs> So, but that's what I'm saying is too often we get into performance yeah. anxiety. And it, people can do that if they want to, but sometimes the performance anxiety is what causes all kinds of problems for them. Let's talk about some of the men that I see who are, you know, they're taking medication. They can't seem to get it up anymore. and And why? Because it's all a performance anxiety. And if they can get back to the other thing, How about we get back to the white side, making love? assisting each other. The husband wants to assist the wife. The wife wants to assist the husband. But who's responsible for that for the man and what, whether he's going to ejaculate or have an orgasm or whatever? He has he to is. be responsible for mm-hmm. that. Once again, we're talking about the principle of agency, and she can assist. But if he gets caught up in, oh, I've got to perform, I've got to give a good speech, I've got attention. When it's supposed to say attention, what's wrong? Oh, I'm defective. And a lot of people will then say, oh, no, I'm a failure. I'm failing my wife. Or wives even say, because their performance anxiety is going to say, well, what's wrong with him? He thrusts twice and I'm done. And then he expects me to just lie there. That's not fun. I don't even enjoy that. Mm -hmm. She's blaming him. But once again, if they begin to negotiate those kinds of things, you can really work things out. And the amazing thing is, once you're sensitive to each individual, things start to work out. And this is where I want to take you today, just for a minute. This is something I do with couples, sometimes in our first, not the first, maybe the third or fourth session, because I want to take their history first, but I'll sit down with each of them and I'll say, okay, I want to talk to each of you for just a moment, and I'm going to be very bold with you, tell you some things very, very strict, and I'd like you to hear what I have to say, but I want to point out that the way you are sexually and the way you are sexually is absolutely perfect and wonderful. And she might say, well, no, I'm not. That's why I'm here. And he says, well, no, I'm not. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Or she isn't. Or he isn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I say, and, and I understand that. But what you're starting at is I'm defective. I want you to start at that you're wonderful. And I say, well, what, what do you mean? I say, if you start of a position that's defective, and especially with psychological senseate focus, you're putting yourself a heck of a lot of work. But if you allow yourself to know that you're wonderful just the way you are, whether you have orgasm or you don't have orgasm, whether you do, whether you don't. So I'll turn to the husband and I'll say things like this to him very directly. I'll say the way you are, the way you touch, the way you receive touch, the way you get an erection or don't get an erection, whether it takes one thrust or 20 minutes of thrusting, Whether you ejaculate or don't ejaculate, the way you reach orgasm or or, orgasmic plateau before that, as you go through all of the experience, the things that turn you on, whether you like your wife's
0: okay, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. or
1: whether you like (laughs) this part, or whether you like that part, or whether you like stinky socks. Everything about you is absolutely perfect and unique. Okay. And then I turn to her and I say the same thing. The way you get turned on, the way you reach orgasmic plateau, whether you like stinky socks or or his strong arms, or it has nothing to do with that. It's the chicken they bought home for dinner last night. Everything about you is absolutely wonderful and unique for you. And then I yell at him and say, but you're different, but you're still wonderful." I say, you're wonderful, the way you are and the way you are. Then I present this to them. If labor and management in the corporation are going to sit down and negotiate, Mm -hmm. and management says, we have $3 billion worth of resource, and they're speaking to the labor, and labor says, well, we got a couple of part-time workers and a lady comes in on Sunday afternoon for a couple hours. Can labor and management negotiate? No. No way. But if management says we have $3 billion worth of resource and labor says, and we got 50,000 employees ready to go to work tomorrow, then you can negotiate. Mm-hmm. But what I say to them is, I I want you to respect you just the way you are, and I want you to respect you just the way you are. Then I'm going to ask you to respect him, even though he's totally different than you, just the way he is, and you're going to respect her just the way she is. Because when labor and management respect each position and then respect the other person's position, guess what? They can negotiate. Is this making sense? Yeah. This is a major principle when it comes to couples. But too often we get into, once again, you're this, you're defective, you're defective, you're something's wrong with me, something's wrong with you. This
0: or, is... or you just get into not even having the conversation. Exactly. Because it's a really hard conversation it's to stupid. have. It's embarrassing. It's, you know, people feel humiliated talking about things like this.
1: And that's why when they come in to see me, I tell them very frankly if you're seeing me for issues of sexuality, I don't want to ever say anything that offends you. Please know that. But I will talk to you very bluntly. And some even use some of the language that couples have taught me to use in here. I can use all the stuff, all the proper words. I'm not going to cross any boundaries. But I'm once again saying the principles whether we're talking about depression, anxiety, do you start defective, I'm screwed up and I'm messed up, or do you start with. I need to believe that I'm wonderful just the right. way I am.
0: Right, and if you do believe that, it makes it easier to talk about your issues.
1: Especially when you know they're not going to put you down and say, oh, no, he's going to say I did this, or because I do this, or, well, I only thrust twice last night before I ejaculated, and then I was done, and, no, oh, he's mad at me, and he's been like, I, I can't even get it up anymore because my performance anxiety is down. Oh, geez, what's wrong with me? I'm defective, or, or she's, I don't even lubricate anymore. What's wrong with me? I'm so defective. What's wrong? This lady drove from another state I saw her for six weeks. After six weeks, she says, "Okay, I've been here for depression. I need to tell you why I'm really here." And I said, "I thought we we're tra- talking about depression." And she says, "Well, yeah, but but I need to tell you why I'm really seeing you." I said, "Okay, okay why why am I really seeing you?" She says, oh, "Craig, I'm just I, I'm just defective." Mm-hmm. I said, "What do you mean you're defective?" Oh, this is so embarrassing.
0: <laughs> I That's. what? Exactly. Says, I'm, 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 I'm defective.
1: I said, so you're defective and depressed. Well, okay, I got to tell you this. I'm so embarrassed that I am just defective. But what? I'm 46 years of age. I've got six kids. And I, I, I don't think I've ever had an orgasm. I said, okay, so now tell me. You're going to tell me why you're defective. Why are you defective? She says, I just told you. I said, that doesn't make you defective. Well, yes, it does. I said, "Who told you that?" Well, my husband did. Did I already talk about this? The ladies in my shop—she does. She's a hair uh, lady. The lady in the hair hair shop—they tell me I'm that That I'm defective. I, I get it from every since I was a girl. I'm just there's something wrong with me, and I I just feel like I'm defective. I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" And that's when I read her this. I'm going to read you this now for a minute. I read her some of the text about what we know about men and women. And that most men are pretty much the same. Women, night and day difference. So she's, her husband told she's defective. Do men view sexuality the same as women? They think they do, but they don't. Their sensate focus is much more physically based, where female sensate focus is much more emotionally based, mm-hmm. but from her and the ladies that come, she does hair for them in the shop and they laugh and giggle about these things. And I'm kind of coming along, ha, 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 ha but I don't think I've ever experienced. Maybe I have, I'm not really sure. I said, I think if you've had it, you know, for sure. <laughs> Generally. Mm-hmm. But there's some things that you can do if you want to lurk and you're turning up the dials and those kinds of things. But she was starting with, I'm defective. So I pulled this out and I'm going to read. Oh, this Let me you. take
0: a picture of that book. Show me the cover.
1: This is uh, a background for marriage, Chapter 4, Human Sexuality, Behavior, and Attitudes. The American Female. The combination of variables deterministic of sexual behavior in the female is so complex that any statement regarding an average female is almost meaningless. What? There's no such things as an average female? No, there isn't. Unlike the male, the sexual, get this, unlike the male, because all of us men are pretty much the same. Put right. a marker here, and over here, put another marker. We all fit in here. Women, you put a marker over there, 15,000 miles, a mark over there, 15,000 miles. They run the entire gamut. Okay. Unlike the male, the sexuality of each individual female is so unique that there's little chance that her own particular characteristics have ever existed before or will ever exist again. The variation in sexual responsiveness is so great among females and the frequencies of sexual activity so diverse that even females may be incapable of understanding the meaning of sex for other females.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: you can't describe what sexuality is for your sister because you're different than her.
0: Good, whereas, I didn't want to do that anyway.
1: <laughs> whereas even the least sexually responsive male can understand some things of the meaning of sex for other males. Yeah, 90% of men are pretty much the same. Fully, one-third of all females in our society rarely respond to any sexual stimuli. They live in another world sexually from nine-tenths of all males as well as from the other two-thirds of females. Most of the two-thirds of females who do respond to sexual stimuli do so only rarely and with no regularity. They are seldom, if ever, roused by anticipation of sexual behavior. The range of sexuality among the females who are sexually responsive is enormous with some individuals responding far more regularly, fre- frequently, intensely than any male. Yep, remember I told you about the woman? And she thinks something's wrong with me. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's thinking I got to fit into this class or this class or this class instead of saying I'm wonderful just the way that I am.
0: Yeah.
1: How many people, men and women, adopt the lenses of their history that affect how they feel about their intimacy? Everyone when they come to understand that God loves them just the way they are. Everything that lives has a sexuality about it. Mosquitoes do, worms do, grass does, plants do, deer do, and human beings do too. But as human beings, we have a mental capacity to affect it positively and negatively because of the skill we have in our brain. But so often because people don't want to talk about it, embarrassed to talk about it, it's been shunted so badly from other lenses, they can't explore and discover and find out about who they are and come to recognize, as God would say to them, you are wonderful just the way you are. The most Obvious observation, consistent with these data, is, of course, that the chance of the husband, the average husband, being matched sexually with his wife is rather remote. (laughs) Husbands and wives are remote. Some, quote, goodnesses of fit, close fit. uh, uh, Yeah, close fit will inevitably occur and some wives will be more sexual than some husbands but most husbands will enter marriage with the sexual romantic fantasies of adolescence only to be bitterly disappointed at the sexual indifference of their wives I underline bitterly because when you're talking about uh, data to stick a word bitterly you don't get to put that in but the guy writing this book I wonder if that (laughs) maybe he's upset with his wife so he's I'm bitterly disappointed Okay, I'm going to go on. Even a woman who responds with our door in a romantic atmosphere of premarital petting will sometimes find after she's married that copulation just isn't that rewarding. She will be puzzled by her husband's preoccupation with sex. About one in four of all married females at age 25 have not experienced orgasm. And one-tenth of all married females will never experience orgasm during their entire married lives. In contrast, the average male by his wedding day has already had 1,523 orgasms.
0: Oh, my gosh. Here, oh, show me that. Really? Yeah, you basically had that memorized because you kind of shared some Look of that at the data. You think I've oh. held that a, yeah, few I've held a few times? a few times. Okay, here we go.
1: Where are those chocolates? Yeah, right there. I'll have another one too. I funny. told you there's a. lot. You see, there's still a lot more I yeah to talk about, and I had I got a lot more notes to write down too. But is this making sense? Do you think mm-hmm. this can be to okay? It's not mm-hmm. too embarrassing for you.
0: It's pretty embarrassing. If
1: it's too embarrassing, don't put it in. Oh, that's fine. Let's pray about. Well, no, I'm I'm serious. I don't want to put anything that's going to really offend people.
0: Nothing's going to offend anyone, but I think, yeah. I think when you're careful and trying not to say things, it's it doesn't feel as genuine yeah, yeah. and real. So. Well, I
1: didn't hold back very much. Yeah. I got a lot more to say more clearly Yeah. when we talk about porn, what I've already addressed with you, and the 1,200-pound horse, masturbation.
0: Okay, let's answer a question really quick. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that'll be good these are really good. Okay. I thought this was a really good question. All right. So we're going to wrap it there for our second half of sexuality and we're not done yet. So you're welcome for having this awkward conversation to bring you some good information. Um, all right. This message was just sent to me yesterday by someone. I won't say their name. We'll call him J. Okay. Hi. First off, thank you so much for this. Both of you. Thank you for getting your dad to do this podcast. And thank you, Craig, for everything you have taught me. I did therapy with Craig for a number of months and I'm doing so much better after a short time. I do have a question that I sincerely hope will be addressed in the podcast. I was trying to teach the concept of emotional independence to my friends and they had some issues with the concept I didn't know how to resolve. When one says we can be emotionally independent or be the master of our emotions, does that mean we can actually choose how we feel in a novel situation? Or does it only mean that we can choose simply how to react to the emotion we do feel? I'm going to say you can change how you feel also and how you react because that's what neural pathways are about, but I'm going to keep reading. Many I know have a hard time believing that emotion is anything but an automatic reaction that cannot be controlled. False. Just kidding. (laughs) It's
1: true until you learn how to do it. Until you learn how to do it. As children were raised, that if my friends were mean to me, I felt sad. Right. When I was 10, when I was in junior high, remember I told the story when that girlfriend kissed me in the ninth grade, who made me feel all excited?
0: Right. She did.
1: And the next day when she said, I don't like you anymore, like Johnny, mm-hmm. who crushed me? She did. Okay. When the strange man, when I was 10, looked at me and snarled and, and mm-hmm. I ran to my dad. Oh, I'm scared. Who scared me? You did. And then my dad said, Made you feel oh, better. I'll protect you. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, today, if I run, somebody runs and looks at me and snarls at me today, do I get upset? No. Today, I might giggle. Remember, I had yes. people stick guns in my head, you know? Yes. I,
0: Well, let me, the question gets deeper because he says one referenced the death of a loved one saying there is no way we can choose not to fill the grief that comes after, even if we want to, or are emotionally independent. To what extent do you think we can become truly emotionally independent? And is God totally emotionally independent of us or are his emotions based on us?
1: You want to answer that? I got about. Yeah. Several things to say. Yep. All right, the first thing I would say is uh yeah, if somebody dies, it's going to knock me on my can. It's going to hurt me. There's mm-hmm. no question about it, and I need to grieve it. Anytime our power has been stripped from us, it's called victimization or traumatization. Somebody dies, somebody hurts our feelings, somebody messes with us, it's going to mess with us. And it might mess with me for Two to four years, if you listen to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who talked about death and dying, she said two to four years for people who've died. And it may take that long. But eventually you'll be able to say, I'm not going to be affected by this anymore. And look what I've learned from it. And the quicker you can turn it to wisdom, the better off. But let's go here for just a minute. I think it should bother me. But this much or this much? Now, I'm holding my fingers either an inch apart or eight feet apart. Right. I'll demonstrate. Libby, if you said to me, Dad, I hate you, that would be very painful to me, okay? Mm -hmm. And then I would say, I'm going to listen to that and be affected by it enough to do something about it. But not very long, I might say, she's just upset with me. I think Libby still loves me. I still love her.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How long did it mess with me? For a minute. I call it the fine line. Whenever something happens, who's in charge of the fine line? Should I let it mess with me this much or this much? I hope if somebody's mean to me, I'm sensitive enough to go, oh, and I might go, I'm hurt by it. But after doing this, you get pretty good at when somebody's mean to you, you might go, oh, hey, uh, I'm sorry you don't feel that way about me. I guess that bothers me a little bit, but let me introduce myself. I I think if you get to know me, I'm really a good guy. Mm -hmm. My Savior loves me. I love me, and I'm going to love you. Can I talk to you? Maybe I can help you with this. If you want to keep being mad at me, I I, I can be upset by it. But I determined to that what that degree is. Did I know how to do that when I was 15? No. Did I know how to do that when I was 30?
0: Probably a little bit.
1: I'm 70 today. I'm getting better at it. Am I completely done? No. Now, does Christ, the stuff we do, affect Christ? Yes. How much? A month where he says, oh, it's all going to hell. Let's fry them all. I'm going, I'm pissed off. Or enough to say, I'm a little concerned about this. I'm going to, I'm going to roast them. Or yeah, I'll still forgive them. I get over it. Mm -hmm. Who determines how much it affects him? Us or him? Him. So I'm going to say to you, it's up to me. I think it's okay to be affected every and any time for the rest of my life. When my mother did the things she did, should I be upset about that for the rest of my life? No. Or did I eventually learn to say, my mom gets goofy once in right. a while. She's kind of purple. I love her. I love her so much I want her to come and live with me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I that didn't happen over time. That took years for me to figure that out. I didn't know how to do that when I was 15. When I was 30, I think I pretty well figured it out with her. Yeah. It took me a while. Now, when we get good at it, we learn... I get to determine, and this is what I call—I thought that was introduced in one of the earlier—the thing I call the fine line. Mm-hmm. Who determines the fine line? The receiver of the message. Who determines Christ's fine line? Christ. Christ. Who gets to determine your fine line? I do. Who gets to determine mine? You. And when we learn that we must be responsible for that, we can let it mess with us for the rest of the day and be miserable. Or we can say, yeah, that bothers me, but I'll get through it.
0: I, so this same guy sent another question that I think you kind of already touched on a little bit, but he says, um, one other question that crossed my mind as I was pondering this, does putting agency into emotion diminish the importance of emotion? It seems that choosing to be sad because something bad happened wouldn't be as powerful as if it the emotion was an automatic response. I understand that many other, okay, which I think you kind of said, you will have the automatic emotion if somebody dies and it's good to feel that. However,
1: just the opposite. If you put agency in place, your capacity to jump to love skyrockets. Yeah. When you're free and he calls you a name, you're not affected by it because you're free. And you'll love them more than ever. So the basic premise, I tell people this all the time, the barometer of our love is based upon our agency. The freer we are, the more we can love. The
0: greater capacity to love. When you
1: truly get free from people,
0: you can love all of them.
1: And even when they go, rare, you say, hey. I'm not going to let that mess with you, dude. I love you. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it does just the opposite of that. Not does it, does it limit it? It enhances it. Agency enhances your capacity to love more than ever. That's why it's the greatest gift. The greatest gift, I'm concerned, my practice is based upon what I call altruistic determinism. Okay, that's what I named it years ago. Then I start. you know, I went back to church. and I said, this is the same thing God told me. He said, the greatest gift is agency and the greatest commandment is love. Whoa! And they just, they just blended into my brain. I went, that's kind of weird. I need, I need to get more into this Jesus stuff. And now I'm a nut for it. I'm crazy about all of that stuff. Yeah. As you well know.
0: That I do. All right. Perfect. Well, we'll wrap it right there. and
1: okay. We're going to do maybe at least another or one or two sessions on intimacy. Uh, we're going to talk about pornography. Uh, and a little bit more probably on intimacy and then we're also going to talk about the 1200
0: pound horse
1: which is related
0: to the to pornography yeah yeah okay. okay hey everyone thanks for listening to the full cup hope you enjoyed today's episode and hopefully the things you're hearing are benefiting your life for the better that is what we are just trying to do offer little tidbits of information to help benefit people's lives and I did just want to say that I hope as well as staying physically healthy during this COVID time that you are taking care of your mental health and if you are in need of support or a friend reach out to those around you and let them know and be brave to talk about things that might be hard to talk about. I know that sometimes I feel nervous for how vulnerable I can be and how sometimes i feel like i'm too open about the things i say but i hope that through my openness it helps others feel that they can also be open and share whatever they may need to share with someone to not feel alone or to make someone else not feel alone because we all have got crap in this crazy life and I just really wanna let everyone know how, I know people are really focusing on taking care of their physical health, but our mental health is so vital as well, and especially at this time. And I know a lot of people are struggling with it. And so if you know someone who is, reach out to them. If you are, reach out to someone else and let them know and take care of each other. Okay, did I just sound like Ellen DeGeneres? I wasn't trying to, but it sounded like it at the end.